good morning and Christian greetings to each of you as well. Appreciate the opportunity to be here and look forward to worshiping with you. Delvin, you mentioned about how old you were. I think you were younger than 15 or 16. It was in the early early 90s, I believe. And I, I also have a lot of fond memories and, and enjoyed our acquaintance back then. I think it was in the maybe the mid-90s when I our family came to Michigan or to uh, Minnesota for the first time and visited Warren's and I think we were here for church so we haven't been back often but uh, it is a privilege to be here this morning and, and we look forward to continuing our worship together. I also, Delvin mentioned we're from central Michigan there in Clare, bring your greetings from home there uh, from Great Lakes. Delvin messaged me about preaching this morning, and I wasn't sure, uh, well, it was a few years ago, you were back, your family was back at our place for a, a family gathering, and we got Delvin to preach for us, so it's a little hard to say no when he asks uh, to return the favors, so we're glad to do that. But when Delvin messaged me about preaching, I wasn't sure what God had in mind. I, You know what it's like to have a full schedule, and take planning to take a little trip, and and how, um, what does God have in mind? How how can I uh, squeeze a preparation for sermon into an already full schedule? You know that feeling? But God is faithful, and uh, I look forward to sharing together this morning. I'm excited about a message that I feel like God has given me. Um, regardless of where we live, I think there's some things that are common to us. Do you ever find... It a challenge in your life. Uh, I talked about uh, finding time to study for a message. Do you ever find it difficult to juggle your time with church and with family and with work and financial responsibilities and marriage and children need you? And this seems like life has a lot of demands and takes a lot of time. We have financial. Uh, responsibility and sometimes it's difficult to make things reach around and also uh, there's issues that we face in our lives health issues and community needs and there's just a lot of do you know what I mean by pressure does Minnesota have pressure does Minnesota have a little stress it's probably life isn't it I know I know we do in Michigan and so this morning I hope that our time together can be an encouragement. Um, we're in a we're in a battle. That's just the way life is, and sometimes life gets heavy and hard. and And I don't intend for that to be at all discouraging, but rather it's just real. It's the way it is, and it'll be that way until we reach heaven. So this morning, I, I trust that our time together can be an encouragement. I would like to. Uh, draw some thoughts from the story of Nehemiah. You're welcome to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Interesting, this morning our devotional leader talked about uh, Jeremiah, and then our Sunday school lesson was on Jeremiah. And this morning I was, I'd like to look at uh, some lessons from the beginning of the book of Nehemiah when God's people, especially Nehemiah, got that call to go back and rebuild the wall. And I'd like to... Um, yeah, just think about God's calling in our lives to to build and to work. 
we have a lot of things to do, and I'd just like to think about that a little bit. As an introduction, as you turn there to Nehemiah, our family likes to do some camping in the summer, and I assume some of you might enjoy that. Um, this year, we it seems like most years, we try to find time to go out to Lake Michigan, and we enjoy being on the the uh, lake for a few days and, and just enjoying some time out there. As I was thinking about this message this morning about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls, I remembered um, our our camping trip. We went down to Lake Michigan, and you know how it is when you're on vacation, you have some extra time, and, and me and uh, our three youngest girls and some of their friends started to build a sand castle. Any children ever build sand castles? Maybe you don't get to the lake quite as, your lake isn't quite as near, but we enjoyed building the sand castle. And we built the little castle. We all worked together, piled sand up, and got the little buckets and stacked it up and made a mound of sand. And you know what's fun about sand? Is we had these little shovels and you take and you just carve out all kinds of neat little things, and we made a fancy little sand castle. And we all worked together. Some of the girls were building a little, oh, it had a stone pebble courtyard in the front, and we dug down and had a pond in front of it, and they made a wall around the back, and we all worked together at making this little sand castle. We got all done. You have to take a selfie, right? All of us pairs, and we take a picture. We worked hard at this little sand castle, and there it was. And it looked nice. Had some little trees, little swing, all kinds of neat little things because we worked together on it. And then we went back to camp. And we were at camp for a while and and uh, later on we went back down to the to the lake to check on our little sand castle. What do you think? How do you think the sand castle looked now? It didn't get washed away, not yet, and not at that point. But as sand starts to dry out, it just kind of started to, the edges weren't as sharp. And and then, uh, yeah, as the waves got higher, they just started lapping at it. And, and after a while, today, if you went back to that, I don't think you'd see anything. I doubt you'd see anything at all. The little sand castle got washed away. We worked together in that sand. And uh, we had a, had a lot of fun. We had an enjoyable time. But somehow life just kind of goes on and, and that experience was, in a sense, washed away. I'd like to read you a song that I couldn't help but think about as we played there in the sand. You know this song, I believe. It says, Like a child by the seashore building castles in the sand. Foolish dreams I have dreamed day by day. Leaving God out completely till the day my castle grand fell apart in the tide and swept away. In each life, storms will gather, rains descend, and wild winds blow. Wise the man who in God is anchored. Are you then like that wise man? Are you anchored? Do you know you are safe till the storm of life is are past? And the chorus says, Castles built upon the sand, though they seem to look so grand, will surely melt away. For life's raging storms they cannot stand. In the rock of ages, all my hopes are built today, and in that rock, they will never pass away. It's 
It's maybe not my message this morning, but as I think about that little song, there's so many things around us that that we can see and that we can we can shape and we can handle with our hands, but so much of these material things will melt away as time continues to to roll. Another thing I think about at the lake, when we're there, you're standing by the seashore and the waves come in, they wash up on the shore and they disappear. And you think about how many years has that been happening? And I I don't know exactly how long it's been happening right there, but time just continues. Time like an ever rolling sea bears all its suns away. Just time continues to move. And this morning may the challenge be to be building on the rock. And the things that really matter in life, um, are we are we investing into those things that really matter? So for a title this morning, I'd, I'd just like to th- consider how are you building? That day we built on the sand. It was fun, but it's gone. It's not there anymore. It's a memory, but there's absolutely nothing left of it. And this morning there's things that we can build on that... That will be memories, but we have the opportunity to be more than memories. They can be uh, life-changing things. They can have eternal consequences. So God help us again to build on that rock. Let's look at Nehemiah. I'd just like to pick out a couple things this morning from uh, from Nehemiah here. As how are you building, or to be a good builder? What what can we? What can we learn from this? I'd like to read chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Just read through verse 4 and then pick out a, uh, a few things there. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year that I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left in the captivity, concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'd just like to break off there. We'll look at some of this a little bit later, some of the other verses. But I have a couple points. Point number one, a good builder is willing to personally pay the price for the cause of right. As I I thought about this, uh, it seems like Nehemiah was taken captive and there were some others that were left there in, in Jerusalem. But we talked about in Sunday school, when the enemy came, they, they made it desolate. Um, and I believe that's what happened uh, at Jerusalem there. Now, each one of us this morning would like to be a builder, right? We want to be we want to be a good influence. We want to be a help. We want to be an asset. No one wants to be the problem, right? So I think there's some things that that we can learn here. A, a, a good builder is willing to personally pay the price for the cause of truth and right. Nehemiah must have had an interest in Jerusalem, don't you think? Why did he even ask, hey, how's it going back up there in Jerusalem? Looked like, was it some of his friends? Some people came down, um, and they had a pretty bad story about 
what happened at Jerusalem. But Nehemiah cared about that. He was concerned about the condition of the city. He could have been focused on his problem, like I am sometimes, focused on my stress and all the things that I've got going wrong. He was in captivity. But there was something different about Nehemiah here. He wasn't focusing on himself. He was focusing on, he cared about the the needs and the people back at Jerusalem. If we want to build on that rock, we need to shift our focus off of ourselves and think about others. We need to have a heart for others. And question I have for myself, am I concerned about the well-being of those around me as, as I am concerned about myself? Do I focus on the pain that others have caused me and become frustrated and discouraged and stressed about that? Or am I willing to suffer, to pay the price, to be willing to be part of the solution, to to be able to uh, even suffer some pain and some discomfort and some hardships in my life for the cause of what's right? There's a couple. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. I think it is choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Um, He was talking about Paul. He was willing to pay the price for what was right. Willing to suffer with the people of God rather than to just enjoy the pleasures of sin. If if I focus on myself, often the sacrifice hurts. It's painful. But if I'm willing to uh, consider others, then the focus is taken off of myself and we don't notice near as much of the pain. As we, as when we reach out to to help those around us, so the goal for me is to be willing to pay that price, so that I can be an asset and a blessing in God's kingdom. When we were playing there in the sand again, there was oh, the ones we were playing with were were younger, and we learning to share things. We only had a few shovels, and we had only a couple little buckets. And we were working hard at each doing our little thing, and sometimes somebody would step in the wrong spot, and that was frustrating. You know, isn't that how it is in life? Sometimes people wanting to help and wanting to do the right thing sometimes step on the wrong thing, and it, and it can be frustrating. Are we willing to endure for the greater cause? God help us to move our focus from concentrating on our needs and wants to doing what we can do to bless those around us. That's a step in being a a good builder, even a good church builder, or a builder in the home. Point number two I'd like to take from the some of the other verses here. Um, Could I just read, starting, maybe read verse four again. I'd like to read the end of the chapter, chapter one there. And again, as we read through this, just think about think about Nehemiah being a, a builder and an asset. And is there some things that we can learn from this? Verse 4, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open. Thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we had sinned against thee, both I 
and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though they were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servant who desire to servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So, we see uh, Nehemiah's prayer. It sounds a little bit like Sunday school uh, from Jeremiah there. But a good builder follows the will, follows the Lord's will for direction and comfort. When his friends came down and he asks about Jerusalem, um, how's it going up there? And they gave him a sad story. Well, that's just too bad. I hope they get it figured out. I hope somebody can can fix the situation. Is that what Nehemiah did? No. He he sought the Lord for direction and comfort. That was his response. He put his thoughts into prayers. Nehemiah had a relationship with God. He had a place to take his thoughts. And his response was prayer. I'd like to look at some of the aspects of his prayer. Verse 6 and 7 he identifies himself as part of the problem. How many times do I, as I think about some of the stress and frustration, and if, if things were just, if, if you would do that differently or better, it would just really be a lot, a lot better. But Nehemiah, in verse 6 and 7, he identifies himself as part of the problem. He says in the end of verse 6, both I and my father's house have sinned. It's not all about you and and who, what you did wrong, but rather he identified himself as part of the problem. Reminds me of when I was in school. We used to have, um, I don't know how you do it here, but once a week one of the dads would come in to have school devotions for us. It was always a highlight at school. And there's a few of those devotionals that I still remember, and there's one particular that I thought about with this. Somebody came in and they ask all of us children, what's the three hardest words to say? And we guessed, and we guessed, and we guessed. And I don't actually remember if we guessed what he thought the three hardest words were, but I remember what he told us. He said the three hardest words are to say are, I was wrong. It's tough to say, sometimes it's tough to say, you're right, you're right. But that little thing of, I was wrong, is really can be really difficult to say. And I, I remembered that from... From him, Nehemiah says it right here. I and my father's house have sinned. Here's the problem, and I'm sorry. I, let's. What can I do to correct the problem? A good builder is willing to accept responsibility when they have when they have failed, when they made mistakes. You don't read about how good Nehemiah was and how bad they were. Rather, he identifies himself equal with the, with the people. 
and identifies himself as the problem. And once you have that platform, then you're set to move forward. You're on a stage where, since we know where the problem is, now how can we fix it and what can we do different? In verse 8 and 9, Nehemiah acknowledges God's law. And I think that's uh, fundamental to us. Another characteristic of a good builder is to that a good builder will pay the price of obedience and then experience the blessing. We had that in our Sunday school lesson as well. There was some of those verses pronouncing if they if they walk away from God, they're going to experience God's judgment. But if they turn to follow God, then they'll experience God's blessing. I was amazed this morning as our Sunday school teacher pointed out that the difference, there was a split between those, was it verse 5 and verse 6? I'm not sure, but God pronounces his blessing upon uh, faithfulness and obedience and a curse upon disobedience. So many times it's easy for us to want to reap the blessing of something without paying the price for it. You know what that's like? I, I know how that can be. Um, just some really small, simple things. Uh, I think about at home so many times, uh, like we have a midweek service, we have prayer meeting, and I'm assuming there's a number of farmers here. Seems like we have less and less farmers, but sometimes it's hard to get to prayer meeting in the evening, and you just you, it, you don't feel like going, or you don't feel like participating. But so many times, as you make that choice to follow God, do what He wants you to do, then you reap the blessing for it. You know what that's like? Not just in not just on a special service or prayer meeting or something, but there's so many things in life where when we are willing to invest, then we can experience God's blessing. And that's what uh, Nehemiah did here. He identified uh, the solution to receive God's blessing. And then in, in verse 11, he pursued that. And I was thinking about reading the next chapter, but you're familiar with it. I might not read that, but I'd like to pull some more thoughts out of chapter 2. Um, and it goes on and explains the story there of what happened next. Uh, Nehemiah goes to the king, and uh, and the king notices that he is that he is sad. The end of verse one implies that Nehemiah normally had a positive and happy countenance when serving the king, but today he cannot hide the feelings of disappointment and despair. A good builder is honest and willing to acknowledge a struggle. I think that's part of of being a builder. Sometimes we want to uh, cover things up. It says in the end of verse 1 that... No, it was in the end of verse 2 of chapter 2. When the king recognized that he was not happy, it says that then was Nehemiah sore afraid. He was afraid he was going to be in trouble. I'm not sure what he thought was going to happen. But... Be honest and willing to acknowledge a struggle. Nehemiah was afraid that when the king noticed that he was sad. What's my response when someone touches a sore spot in my life? Oh, I'm good. I, I, everything's fine. Everything's good. Don't, don't dig too deep. Um, and maybe I'm speaking from my own 
heart and my own experience, but it's so easy to to put on a good front and to make things look like they're okay. And I'm not saying this morning that things are bad at all, but can we just be real with each other? Can we be real in family life, in church life? Can we be honest about the things that we face? As we do that, I think we can. God can help us towards solutions, and we can build towards overcoming some of that uh, those difficulties. Did I hear this morning someone said that we we're talking about peace and truth? Truth usually brings peace, but a lack of truth, a lack of transparency, a lack of honesty does not produce peace. And uh, so, just a reminder this morning. A good builder is honest and willing to acknowledge a struggle that that they may face. One more thought with that. If Nehemiah would have told the king that, oh, I'm good. There's nothing wrong. You misinterpreted. I don't know if they'd have got the help that they did. Um, It was after he was was willing to acknowledge that he had an issue that the king uh, supported them and helped them. So just a, a, a challenge, a reminder, let's be real and be honest with each other. Number six, a good builder connects to divine wisdom. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you get the picture there? The cupbearer brings the wine to the king, and he's sad. And the king asks him, What's wrong? And he tells him, and then the king says, so what can I do about it? What should I, how can I help you? What would you? What would your first response be? How could the king help me? Well, I could, you can think of a lot of things that he could have done, but you know what Nehemiah did first? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Is that our first response? When we face a challenge or an issue, the very first thing that happens seems like he prays to the God of heaven. In verse 5, he says, he says unto the king, and he gives a request to the king. A good builder connects to divine wisdom. Does my mind connect with God that quickly? It's so human, and it's so easy to naturally try to figure things out and skip prayer until we get stuck or get in a hard place. And when it's impossible for us, it's pretty easy to reach out to God. At least that's how it naturally seems. But God help us this morning to to develop that pattern or that habit that that communication with God, that connection with divine wisdom. God wants to He is able to help us and He wants to help us, so let's reach out to Him. In verse six, another one there of in chapter two, a good builder recognizes that there's limited time. And this is something Maybe you don't face that, but for me, life is busy, and we only have so much time in life, and even in our days, shorter than life, but just, there's only so much time, there's only so much that we can get done. Did you ever get to the end of the day, and you just didn't quite get everything done that you needed to do? That's something that I struggle with. Maybe that's why I noticed it here, because in verse 6, it pleased the king to send, at the end of verse 6, it pleased the king to send Nehemiah, and he set a time. He said, I'll be back. This is the time. This is the window. This morning, I, I, I challenge you and me, as we want to be a builder and we want to be an asset, 
there's a couple things I need to do. I'd really like to talk to that brother, encourage him. I should send him a text, just a, just a way to uh, connect with him. I, I really want to do that, and I really want to do the other thing, and I should do that. But life just kind of rolls on, and we just keep doing what we did yesterday, and we fail to actually make that step and to do that thing that's that's really important. So this morning... A good builder realizes that there's limited time and prioritize, do, do God's work. Um, maybe we should take away from spending so much time carving the sandcastle and we should focus more on relationships and the people around us. None of us are promised how much time we have. <clears throat> I think about um, some of you are young families and you have children growing up. I'm amazed that our children, it wasn't long ago that Delvin and I were just little friends, and time has a way of growing up, or children have a way of growing up as time continues. Moms and dads, take the time to, uh, to spend time with your children. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Allow God to help you and and help us. May God help us as we prioritize our time. In verse 17 of chapter 2, there's another, uh, a good builder encourages by example. Nehemiah led by example. He didn't tell the people what they should do and leave them to fend for themselves. He stayed and worked with them. Pitched right in. And I think that's something that that uh, we, that I need to be reminded of. It's so easy to think about what everybody else should be doing and how they could help fix the situation or remedy a problem or why didn't, why didn't they help? But let's, let's focus on what we can do. Let's put our shoulder to the wheel. Maybe I should have mentioned at the outstart, I go to church with Warren's brother, Art. He's my father-in-law and our senior pastor there. And, uh, Art made a quote or a comment that I wrote down years ago, and and he said, Good intentions that never produce actions will not swing the balance in the day of judgment. Maybe that would have fit better under the last point of a limited time. Do what needs done, but also lead by example. Not just a lot of good ideas, but put those ideas to practice and and, uh, be part part of the solution. God needs workers, there is a cause. Come, let us build up the walls. Be a good builder by example. I have two others here I'd like to mention yet. In verse 19, it talks about the enemy there. A good builder keeps his focus on the right things, the right thing for us to do. There's always going to be opposition to what's right. seems like as... As there's a cause or there's a need, there's always opposition. You can think of uh, many examples of that. But in this story, uh, there was Sam Ballot, Tobiah, um, and those that were that were enemies of the work. It's easy to turn our attention and our focus from building to identifying what others are doing wrong. I think in this story, they yeah they. In verse 19, it says, They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, "Is What is this thing that you're going to do? And why do you rebel against the king? Let's not focus on the accusation 
and get sidetracked or frustrated. Sometimes we can get derailed by people's comments and we, we lose our focus of what is right. And it becomes rather than focusing on what is right, it's more about setting a score straight and getting a, our focus uh, towards each other. But God help us to, to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. Keep your focus on the right thing of what we need to do. The last point that I have, I'd like to lift out of verse 20. A good, a good builder looks to the Lord for approval. Nehemiah's confidence was in God. He trusted in God to prosper their plans and their work. And when the enemy came with sneers and mockery, it didn't change his purpose of, of what was right. What does it take to, to tip us over, to, to frustrate us, to get our eyes off the goal? Let's look to the Lord for approval. We don't need to let others' unkind words destroy and rob the joy and fulfillment that we have. It reminds me of a, when I was, it's been quite a few years ago, but the, the thing of looking to the Lord for approval, I just thought about it now. Um, there was a time in my life where I talked about stress, and I think you know what that's like. I, my father lives in Pennsylvania, and we live in Michigan, so we don't get to see each other often. We talk occasionally on the phone, and I remember one night, Dad and I were talking, and I was blowing up about an issue that I was facing, and Dad just listened. And, and uh, when we got all done, I, I hope I never forget what he told me. I get all done, and he said, you know, John, he said, just do the right thing. But he said one thing, he said, I believe that by God, if you follow God, God will help you to do the right thing. I believe in, I believe that, that you will do the right thing. And I never forgot that because when your father tells you that, that he believes that you will do the right thing, there's something really, really powerful about that. I remember hanging up the phone that night. It was late at night. I think everybody was in bed. I hung up the phone, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, if Dad believes in me, I can do this. I can do this. And I just challenged uh, you as dads, if we can do that, for I think, for our children. But not only that way, God wants to do that for us. This morning, I think God's saying to each of you, as you face those those difficult things, you can do this. I will help you. I'll go with you. I, you can, you can do it. So I just encourage you this morning, regardless of what you're facing, um, reach out to God and allow Him to grasp that security and that approval that God has uh, for you. He wants to help us through that. This morning, I'd, I'd just like to close with a. Uh, there's a poem that really that meant a lot to me. Um, it was in our Sunday school book, I think back in 2010, and I copy a little section out of it and paste it in the front of my Bible. And last night as I was thinking about her sharing this subject this morning and that closing point about our uh, approval, getting our approval from God rather than from man, this poem came to mind, and I'd like to read it. And I'd, I'd just like to read it and close with this poem. It's Matthew 8. It's, it's based on Matthew 8, verse 15. And that little story 
in Matthew 8.15 is when Jesus came into Peter's house and his mother was mother or mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus, it says, and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto him. And the title of this poem is The Master's Touch. The author is unknown. The poem goes like this. He touched her hand and the fever left her. He touched her hand as only he can, with the wondrous skill of the great physician, with the tender touch of the Son of Man. The fever pain in those throbbing temples died out with the flush, died out with the flush on brow and cheek. The lips that had been so parched and burning trembled with thanks that she could not speak. And the eyes where the fever light had faded looked up by grateful tears made dim. She arose and ministered to her household. She rose and ministered unto him. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. O blessed touch of the man divine, so beautiful to, so beautiful then to rise and serve him when the fever is gone from your life and mine. It may be the fever of restless serving, with heart all thirsty for love and praise, and eyes all aching and strained with yearning towards self-set goals in the future days. Or it may be a fever of spirit anguish, some tempest of sorrow that dies not down, till the cross at last is in meekness lifted and the head stoops low for the thorny crown. Or it may be a fever of pain and anger when the wounded spirit is hard to bear and only the Lord can draw forth that arrow left carelessly, cruelly rankling there. Whatever the fever, his touch can heal it. Whatever the tempest, his voice can still. There's only joy as we seek his pleasure. There is only rest as we seek his will. And some day after life's fitful fever, I think we shall say in the home on high, if the hands that he touched but did his bidding, how little it matters what else went by. Ah, Lord, thou knowest us all together. Each heart sore sickness, whatever it be, touch thou our hands. Let the fever leave us, and so shall we minister unto thee. God be with you. God strengthen you.